you remember with fondness, um, most of the time we spent out here, <laughs> I only hit the ditch once on my way uh, back and forth from, uh, from Calgary to Banff, and um, the Lord was good. I drove back out again, so um, most everything else we remember with fondness of the time we spent here, and we thank the Lord for you as a church and uh, for the ministry God has raised up here and continues to bless. Um, you probably know this, but the church here is very kind about allowing other people to use the facility from time to time. So our, our church, which is um, the Grace of God Christian Church of Calgary, better known as G2C3, um, our leaders came out here at the end of October and had a little retreat on a Saturday in um, your upstairs, one of your upstairs rooms. So thank you so much for your kindness uh, to us in that way. It uh, was a great time together and... <clears throat> so our church is a majority Filipino church, and you've met some of you have met their pastor. Um, pastor Gerard came out here and spoke once at Banff Park Church, and we had a little um, Filipino uh, banquet afterwards too. So, um, anyways, we're we're trying to. It's, Carol and I are the only seniors and the only uh, North Americanos in the church most Sundays, and so we're trying to um, introduce the Filipinos to um, North American culture. <clears throat> they do want to be a um, multi-ethnic church, but uh, at this point, they're still wrestling with that. And uh, so if you think of us, you could pray for us, and that would be great. Um, <clears throat> so thank you for praying for us again when we were having our um, transplant. And afterwards, that, during the time we were here um, doing an interim pastoring was when the work up to that whole scenario, and God has brought us safely through that. But uh, Jordan had us, by the grace of God, sing um, Glorious Day this morning. and So I still have to take pills twice a day, um, anti-rejection drugs. And um, the song that plays in the morning when I take them is Oh Glorious Day, just to remind me to, uh, <laughs> to take my pills. So, so Christmas is not far off. And um, as uh, Jordan already mentioned, or uh, Jason, sorry, the, this is the first Sunday of the season of Advent. Not every church celebrates it, and you don't have to, but it's a good way to uh, think about the events of Christmas. And as we think of the amazing events that took place and the ordinary people that God was pleased to use to bring about the birth of his son in the manger in Bethlehem. So we want to think about that a bit this morning. And uh, I think you have received a little handout, a little half page. Much of it will be up on the screen. So if you just want to take notes um, or just remember it that way, you can. But in speaking of the birth of Christ, the role of his mother, the Virgin Mary, is often emphasized by the church. And rightly so, she had a huge role in that. But today I'd like to have us look at the story of Christmas from a little different perspective. In Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 18 to 25, uh, God records the events of Christmas from the standpoint of the earthly father, the stepfather of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'd like to read uh, about Christmas from his perspective uh, this morning. Now the birth <coughs> of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Dear Father, thank you for this, your word that we can look at together. Thank you that tells the Christmas story and very clear and plain language for us to understand. And we pray that today as we think about your servant Joseph, that um, 
you might give us insight into the role that you gave him in all that happened at Christmas time, and that we might see uh, in him uh, the glory of God. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to come back and look at uh, Matthew in just a bit. But first we want to talk about uh, the facts of Joseph's life that we know. I want to get where I can see those pictures too. <coughs> I'm going to um, show you Joseph's life by means of using some pictures that kind of outline the role that God gave to him in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And down through the century, countless numbers of people have used their talents, artistic talents, to try to show us what uh, the life of uh, Joseph was like and how God used him to be the earthly father of his son. So as we trace these events through pictures, um, there will be various different uh, artistic renderings, but as we trace the events, please think about the characters of the story and especially the part played by Joseph. <coughs> this is called The Anxiety of Joseph. So he's in his carpenter shop and he's just got the news that Mary is pregnant. His beloved and it hurt and bewildered him, I'm sure, because he knew there was no sexual relationship between them. It may have taken him days, even weeks, of thought and prayer to work through what he was to do about the reality that the one to whom he was betrothed, pledged to be married, was with child. And Matthew tells us, in chapter 1, verse 20, that as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And a few verses later, we read that when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. <clears throat> well, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 5, recounts the next part of the story. <clears throat> In those days, uh, Luke tells us, a decree went out that from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, when the Bible says going up from Galilee, which is in the north of Galilee, it really means going up um, in terms of height um, from sea level. It's not talking about going north. Sometimes we think of up as being north. But in, in biblical terms, up is usually going up to Jerusalem, which was on a plateau. So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Well, it was a long and difficult journey. There's two different routes sketched out there. <clears throat> we don't know for sure which one they took. The green one is the one that Jews who thought themselves as pious took because it went around Samaria and they didn't like going through Samaria. But we don't know. He may have gone straight south. Um, but as you can tell... By the darker brown, that is a mount, more mountainous country, so it would be a harder route. But one way or the other, it was a long and difficult journey that would have taken a number of days. The distance as the crow flies from Nazareth to Bethlehem is 110 kilometers, but Mary and Joseph probably walked in the range of 160 kilometers before they reached their resting place at the stable. And we don't know they had a donkey, but Mary, who was great with child, that's what the King James says. Those of you who've been pregnant... <laughs> You understand what it means to be great with child. We don't know that a donkey, but Mary would have found it hard to walk that kind of a distance. <clears throat> well, Dr. Luke tells us in his gospel again, chapter 2, verses 6 and on, that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There they were visited by the shepherds, and, and this scene that you see before you is probably two years later when the Magi came to, um, to see uh, Jesus. He wasn't a baby anymore. He was a little two-year-old. 
So there, there they were visited by the shepherds, as you can see from the surrounding fields, who had responded to the angelic message, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Well, eight days later, this is a picture by Rembrandt, by the way. Eight days later, the little boy would have been circumcised, as were all little Jewish boys of that time. Spare a thought for their pain, right? But then Luke tells us that 40 days later is this scene when, and I'm quoting Luke 2, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, the little boy, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And they brought a sacrifice with them, as the scriptures told them to. And the sacrifice that Joseph and Mary brought to the Lord on that occasion gives us an indication of just how poor they were. Because they brought either two doves or two pigeons. We're not just sure, but one or the other, which was the offering that poor people could bring. And while they were in the temple um, doing this, two godly believers, Simon kneeling with the child, and Anna standing with her arms raised, these two godly believers came upon Joseph and Mary with the baby Jesus, and they rejoiced over this infant child who was to be, who was the Messiah of Israel. Well, about two years later, <clears throat> after the Magi from the east had been there to bring gifts and praise to Jesus, Matthew tells us that after, when, when they, that is the Magi, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night. And departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. So then in obedience to God's direction. uh, Given again by an angel in a dream. The family set out on another long journey led by Joseph, this time to Egypt. And they traveled somewhere in the range of 500 to 600 kilometers on foot or with the donkey, we're not sure, to get to Egypt. And if you take a look at Egypt, uh, Egypt comes right up to the border of Israel, but the part of Egypt that runs between the border of Israel and over to almost the Nile River is barren wilderness, sand and mountains. Nothing there, no place there they could live. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us where they went in Egypt, but there were many Jews living there at that time. There were a million Jews in the city of Alexandria, Egypt, alone at that particular time. It was a center of Jewish learning. We're also not told how long Mary and Joseph and Jesus stayed. It may have been as little as a few months or as much as two years. But at just the right time, God again spoke to Joseph, telling him to take the family back to Israel. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream again, He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so the family returned to the little town of Nazareth to live. And this picture is drawn from the Orthodox tradition, but it pictures um, Mary and Joseph and Jesus on Joseph's shoulders returning to Nazareth. Well, we know very little of the rest of Jesus' life as a boy and as a young man. Luke 2, verse 40, tells us the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So it seems pretty likely that Jesus was active as a boy and a young man helping Joseph in the carpentry or building trade. 
and there's a couple of his brothers <coughs> hanging out in the background. So Jesus knew what it meant to do hard work with his hands. One thing the Bible does tell us um, in Luke is that Joseph and Mary went up to Jerusalem every year for the, feast of the, for the feast of the Passover. And on one trip when Jesus was 12 years old, you ever notice that <laughs> Jesus and Joseph in particular always seemed to be on the road going, going, going somewhere. On one trip anyway, when Jesus was 12, with many other pilgrims thronging the city, Carol and I have been in Jerusalem, and the last time we were there, we were trying to get from one side of Jerusalem down to the Wailing Wall, and we had to go through the older part of Jerusalem, and a mosque was just letting out on Friday morning. So you literally, because the streets are no wider than your car often, you literally had trouble squeezing through the whole crowd. So as pilgrims were thronging the city then, Joseph and Mary were having great difficulty finding Jesus in the crowd, and they went looking for him. And Luke tells us that after three days, just put yourself in Mary's place particularly, getting frantic by now. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So these scenes that I've rehearsed with you are almost all of what we know of the life of Joseph. But God the Holy Spirit felt it was important to record in his word the vital part that this man played in the incarnation. So I thought it would be helpful for us to spend some time considering the life of the man that God chose to be the earthly father of his son. And it would seem logical to me that God took just as much care in selecting Joseph as he did in choosing Mary. God doesn't do one thing carefully and well and other things poorly. So he took just as much care choosing Joseph. So here from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and that's where we'll spend the rest of our time. What does our Heavenly Father want us to learn about his servant, Joseph? Well, to remind you of what we read in verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 1, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Well, first of all, let's look at what God tells us about Joseph's character. What do we observe here in his life? Well, in this account, Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous or a just man. So the Greek word translated just here can also be equally correctly translated righteous. And and on that little sheet that I've given you, the very last page, the back page, and the very last scripture, maybe second last one, when Luke is describing Zachariah and Elizabeth in his gospel, Luke says about that older couple, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So that... comment that that Luke made about the parents of John the Baptist help us to understand what the Bible means when it says that Joseph was a just man. Because to be a just man, biblically, a just person meant to walk blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's what Zachariah and Elizabeth did, and that's what Joseph did. So to be just and righteous then is to be obedient to what God says in his word. 
Now, do you recall as we've gone through all this how unfailingly characteristic this obedience is of Joseph in the accounts the Bible gives of him? In this account, Matthew 1 says, When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So there was no waiting around for Joseph. When he awoke from sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. That's what you call obedience. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not obedient sometimes. It takes me a while to figure things out, what God is saying to me. But I guess maybe if an angel came to me in my dream, I might be <coughs> more quick. So that's one case. Matthew chapter 2 when the angel came and spoke to him just after the birth of Jesus, to, saying to go to Egypt, it says that Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Now, we don't know, but it may have been the same night. Had his dream, woke up, loaded the donkey, <clears throat> and off they went. Matthew chapter 2, verse 21, again, after another dream and command from the angel, this time in the land of Egypt, the Bible says, And Joseph arose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So Joseph was a just man, an obedient man, a righteous man, who did what the word of God, whether written in the law or given to him by angels, he, he did what God asked him to do. Well, here in Matthew 1, God shows us another side of this man, Joseph. He was a man of great compassion. <clears throat> so Joseph's in a hard place. See, betrothal is different than engagement. Betrothal in those days took a legal decree to break. You didn't just kind of walk away from your fiancé. You had to go to the court in order to have that done. So Joseph's betrothed. Something's deeply wrong in Joseph's world. His betrothed his legally contracted bride to be Mary is expecting a baby. So what should he do? Well, in the Old Testament, you likely know that the penalty for adultery, if a man slept with another man's wife, they were both to be stoned. That's what the Old Testament said. Now, since the coming of Jesus, of course, in the New Testament, a new law has been put into place. But in the Old Testament, for very good reasons, the law of Moses said that both of them were to be put to death. So Joseph is a just man, but he's one who wants to live the righteous life with compassion. So having thought about the situation for we don't know how long, Joseph decided on a course of action. It says he was unwilling to put her to shame. He was unwilling to go and report her to the authorities and have whatever would normally happen. And I say that because there's not too many instances that we find in the Old Testament of people actually being put to death for that. There are some, but not very many. Not as many, not as, many as you would think. So Joseph has decided he's unwilling to put her to shame and he resolves to divorce her quietly. As I mentioned, the betrothal took a personal uh, legal action to break. But the Mosaic Law had a provision. I don't think I gave it to you on your sheet there, but it's Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And it says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he finds, she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. So that was something Jesus said later, that Moses gave the Jews because of the hardness of their hearts. And they abused this. So if you burnt the toast, whoosh, out you go. And now, it may not have been that bad, but it was for pretty petty reasons that people were divorced. But Joseph sees this provision in the, in the Deuteronomic law as a way for him to, with compassion, separate himself from Mary. But then the angel comes to him in a dream to tell him what God wanted him to do. He had decided what he wanted to do, but God had a different plan. Remember what Proverbs says? A man plans his way, but the Lord 
directs his steps. So you and I may decide what we're going to do, but God may have different plans. So Joseph chose to temper righteousness with tenderness. He chose not to put Mary to shame. He chose not to leave her behind when he traveled to Bethlehem. He chose to marry his betrothed as God had told him. And in doing so, Joseph ensured that the baby that was not his, who was born in Bethlehem, would have legal standing as his son. The baby would be a son of David, as Joseph was a son of David. Well, we see also about Joseph that he was a quiet man. If you read through the Christmas story, most of the characters in the Christmas story, they talk, sometimes at great length. Zachariah, Mary, Elizabeth, the angels, the shepherds, but not Joseph. The Bible does not record one word that is spoken by this man. He was a just man, a righteous man. He was thoughtful. He was compassionate, but he was quiet. So those of you who are minded that way, be be encouraged, right? The volume of words does not determine the kind of person that you are as a man or a woman. Joseph was quiet, focused on listening to and obeying the voice of God. Well, another aspect of Joseph's character here is that he was faithful in his service to God and to his family. So these pictures, these vignettes from the life of Joseph that I've shown you, show us that he's a man of action and service. When God spoke, Joseph obeyed. He traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, helping his pregnant wife to make the trip. He traveled from Bethlehem to Egypt, caring for his wife and two-year-old son along the road. He traveled from Egypt to Nazareth, providing for and protecting his family along the way. Those were dangerous days to travel on the roads. Remember the the Good Samaritan? What happened to um, the guy there? Fell among thieves. They beat him and stole from him and stripped him and left him lying for dead by the side of the road. (laughs) That happened. And the kind of country they were going through it happened. So on, what I want you to notice is that on the righteous, compassionate, silent service of this man, Joseph, God built the home in which his son grew up. Pretty significant. Well, another thing Matthew shows us here in his gospel about Joseph is his calling. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and then 24, 25, we read, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife. So Joseph's in a crisis. His whole world's been upended. His plans for a home and a peaceful life with his future bride, have been shattered. And he's trying to decide what to do with the circumstances that have engulfed him. Sometimes circumstances engulf us, too. Things come upon us, things happen to us that we had no idea were going to happen. We have no control over them. We've just got to go through them. And into Joseph's all-consuming crisis comes the redeeming word of God. And it comes to us in our crises as well. So have you noticed as we've gone through these stories how often God spoke his word directly to Joseph? So God sent his angel Gabriel to Mary in Nazareth on one occasion with detailed guidance and wonderful encouragement for what lay ahead in her difficult, blessed path. But here in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, it appears that God sent his angel four times to give Joseph direction and encouragement through the medium of dreams. So what's the message uh, from God to Joseph in the middle of this crisis here in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel comes to him? Well, God reveals to Joseph through the angel what he's supposed to do. You may have had times in your life when you just say to God, just... Tell me what to do. (laughs) We've all had those times. So God, in telling Joseph what he should do, God 
lays out for Joseph his calling, Joseph's calling, the purpose that he is to pursue for years to come. We don't know when Joseph died. It seems that he died when perhaps Jesus was not all that old. We don't know exactly. But the pictures we have of Mary, later on in the scriptures, Mary and her children appeared trying to talk to Jesus. Mary is by herself at the cross. So Joseph died at some point between when Jesus was 12 and the other incidents in the life that the Bible records. And the call of Joseph, or call of God, sorry, the life of Joseph is expressed in very down-to-earth terms here. God tells Joseph what he wants him to do in the present moment, in the present crisis, but God's obedient response is going to carry him on for years to come. So look at what the angel says. He says, do not fear. Do not fear is often the introductory statement of angels when they appear to people in the Bible. Do not be afraid, the angel said to Zechariah in the temple when he was stuck dumb, remember? Do not be afraid, Gabriel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1. Fear not, the angel says to the shepherds. But this do not fear, as you look at it, seems to be just a little bit more specific than the general don't be afraid of me as the messenger of God. The angel seems to be saying not just that Joseph is not to fear him as God's messenger, but that Joseph is not to be afraid in this crisis. He's not to be afraid in the circumstances that God has brought into being. And through this angel, God lays out for Joseph one simple yet far-reaching step that he's to take in response to the situation in which he finds himself. Do not fear, the angel says, to take Mary as your wife. Simple. Thing, difficult in the circumstances, but simple to understand. So this is what Joseph has been pondering for days, perhaps weeks. And this simple step that God lays out for him through the angel has life-altering implications. I won't ask Philip how he felt before he got married. But... <laughs> Most the men and maybe ladies too. You take it seriously when you're going to get married. So taking Mary as his wife meant for Joseph, as I trust it means for any Christian man today, it meant taking her into his home, uh, protecting her with his life, caring for her in sickness and health, and providing for her for the rest of his days. Now, in Joseph's case, it went a little further because taking Mary as his wife also involved trusting God with the shame and the gossip and the hurtful talk. It meant entering with her into an uncertain future, as Mary's marriage always does. But in this case, Joseph, in taking this step, was also committing himself to name, to adopt as his own, to care for with all his heart, a baby that was on the way. And I just want you to note, before we go on to the next point, that God, as he asks Joseph to make this lifelong commitment to Mary and the child that is to be born, gives him an assurance. Joseph will not likely grasp what this assurance means for some time. But here is God's assurance to him. The reason why he's not to fear, but is to go ahead in faith and take Mary as his wife. Because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. No other man involved. The Holy Spirit. So God is in essence saying to Joseph, all that is happening here is of God. The situation is not beyond his control. It's a part of his perfect will. And that's an assurance that God often gives us too when we seek him in the midst of our dreadful circumstances. He just says, you can trust me with this. Well, the third aspect of Joseph's life <clears throat> that I think needs to be noted here is his conduct. How do we see Joseph responding to this life-altering commitment that God calls him to? What does his conduct in this passage reveal? Matthew uh, tells us, that when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
So Joseph was obedient to God's calling on his life. He took Mary as his wife. He took her into his home. He took her with him on the trip to Bethlehem to be enrolled. And when the baby that was not his was born, Joseph called the baby Jesus, as the angel told him to. And he took the child as his own. It's easy to say that, isn't it? A little different if you're Joseph. I don't mean that he shrunk back from it. We don't have any indication of that. But I think he went into it with some fear and trembling. For Joseph, this was a commitment that changed the rest of his life. And friends, in your crisis of life, whatever it may be, when God asks you for a commitment, that commitment may wind up being a calling too that shows God's purpose for your life. So I'd just like you to note, notice the results of Joseph's conduct, the things that came about because he was obedient to God's calling. Now I'm just going to review these with you quickly. But it's amazing to know what God accomplished through a faithful, quiet man who was willing to serve his God and his wife by taking her into his home and caring for her and her child. Here's the results, just some of them. First of all, a marriage took place instead of a painful divorce. Instead of Mary being cast out of Joseph's home, trying to find a way to survive on her own, she was welcomed into his home and into his life. Secondly, a home was established where God's son grew up. The Bible doesn't tell us much about the home, but we know that Mary and Joseph did build a home together in which not only Jesus, but other brothers and sisters grew up. So it was a, a family together. Thirdly, the Son of God, by Joseph's actions, was saved from Herod's hatred. The family traveled safely to Egypt, then back to Israel. King Herod had vowed to kill the newborn king, but the actions of an obedient and protective husband were God's appointed means to thwart Herod's murderous intentions and to protect the Son of God as a little child. And fourthly, the prophecies of God were fulfilled, the prophecies of his word. Matthew concerned that, and that's what Matthew wrote his his gospel for was so Jewish people especially would see that this Jesus was the son of David and see how God had been at work in it all. So Matthew concerned that people would see all this and know that God keeps his word, reminds his readers of the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 7, behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel and the prophecy of Hosea 11 verse 1, out of Egypt I called my son And the fact that uh, Jesus would later in his life be called a Nazarene. That prophecy is a complicated one. If you want to do some study on your own, you can learn more about it. So Joseph could not have understood all that God had in mind when he was asked to make this commitment of taking Mary along with her unborn child into his life. And unknown to Joseph... God was in the midst of accomplishing the most amazing thing that this world has ever seen. Theologians call it the incarnation. It means that God himself came to live in a human body. John chapter 1 says uh, in, I think it was Eugene Peterson, the message, and the word of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So, Anyway, you need to think about that sometime, just how amazing a thing the incarnation is, that God who fills the whole universe can be contained in the body of a little baby that needs to be fed and clothed and changed. Well, the final and by far the most important aspect of the life of Joseph that we want to note from Matthew 1 today is his child. The child that Mary was to bear the boy to whom Joseph was introduced by an angel in his dream, the one whom Joseph is to give the name Jesus, he's the center of the whole story. He's the reason why all of this happened. And we learn much about the baby who was to be born here in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 1, 2, and 3 and in many other Christmas passages. 
But here, Matthew tells us the words of Isaiah's prophecy. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, as you look at your Bible, that's not what Joseph heard. That's what Matthew tells us. So it's an editor's note. So Matthew explains that Emmanuel means God with us, but that wasn't explained to Joseph at that point. So Mary is told in Luke chapter 1, you shall call his name Jesus, he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Joseph doesn't know that. Sure, Mary told him later, but he didn't know that at this point. All that Joseph has told in his dream of the child he is to be an earthly father to is this. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the angel tells Joseph what name he is to give the baby to be born and why. And that's enough. Carol and I used to spend hours in the, while she's in the hospital going through labor looking at baby books and deciding on the names of these children to be born. Because when you get to the actual moment, and Carol, of course, <laughs> did all the work. I just sat there. But um, When you get to that moment, sometimes the names that you've thought about before, they don't make sense anymore. And so you have to come up with them at the moment. It might have been nice if God told us what we should name our boys, but he didn't. And so he guided us, I think, though, to the names that we had given them. So God is preparing Joseph for his task of fatherhood. Joseph is to father the Son of God. And those of you who are fathers or hope that someday you will be. It's worth thinking about. And the way God prepares Joseph for fathering the Son of God is by telling Joseph the purpose for which the child is to be born. Because he's going to save his people from their sins. And and all that gives new meaning to a verse in Proverbs that sometimes we misinterpret. The verse in Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we as parents, we are to train our children in the way they should go. The godly way, perhaps a career way, but we are to guide them in the way they should go. So Joseph had the years ahead when Jesus was still a baby to think about what the angel had said to him and then to take that, that he, that he was going to save his people from their sins, to take that purpose which God had set aside for the Son of God and allow that purpose to shape and guide the parenting that Joseph did. And it shows us how to parent our children. We need to consider carefully what God's purpose is for our children and parent them accordingly. Not what our purpose is for them, but what his purpose is for them. So the angel told Joseph that the baby is to be called Yeshua. The Hebrew word Joshua, same as the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. The Greek word Jesus. But the word means Yahweh or God saves or Yahweh is salvation or God is salvation. And I'm sure that Joseph shared the message that the angel had given him with his wife. So from very early on in the life of Jesus then, <clears throat> before he was born, Joseph and Mary both knew that the child they were raising had a very specific purpose in his life. He was born so he could save his people from their sins. To put it another way, his people needed someone to save them from their sins. Their sins were too much for them. And they could be delivered only if someone came to save them. And in 
the 70 years that I've been on this earth, I've learned that that's me. I've learned that my sins are too much for me. I'm too selfish, too proud, too sinful. I need a savior. I need someone who will save me from my sins. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. Now, the angel may have been speaking specifically here of Israel. That's a theological question. The people of God. But I think he's probably speaking more broadly. Because the Bible teaches us that we become one of his people. We become one of the people of Jesus when he saves us from our sins. So whenever that happened for you, when you trusted him to save you from your sins, that's when you became one of his people. And the greatest thing that God is doing in our world today is he is calling out a people for himself. And he does this by bringing men and women and boys and girls and teenagers face to face with Jesus. And when they come face to face with Jesus, they have to make a decision. And how they respond to Jesus determines whether they become one of his people and begin living for his kingdom Or sadly, they turn away and go on living for themselves, for their own kingdom. To say yes to Jesus then, to put your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life, that is at the heart of what it means to become one of his people. So the obvious question I need to ask you today is, are you one of his people? Well, as I conclude, in some ways this sermon has been a work in progress for almost 30 years. In 1995, I read an essay in Christianity Today magazine written by a man called Walter Wangaren Jr. And as I always wanted to do back in those days, I tore it out, put it in a file, my Christmas file, (coughs) so that someday maybe I could preach a sermon about Joseph. But Walter Wangaren Jr. and his wife, both white, adopted a little girl whose father was African-American and whose mother was white. And the essay that I read was entitled, A Stranger in Joseph's House. A Stranger in Joseph's House. And it was a literary piece filled with insight into the joys and the pain of raising a child that is not your own. It was a reflection on what Joseph must have felt as day by day and year by year he carefully parented the child of Almighty God. I can't imagine what that must have been like for him. But he was faithful to that calling that God placed on his life. In our culture, in our society, men are sometimes looked upon as being rather unnecessary in a family to be sperm donors and that's it. Now I just want you to reflect on what the story of Joseph says to us about marriage and about parenting. So today we've considered how God entrusted his one and only son to the care of this man, Joseph. And I want to ask you to think about a question that you likely have never considered before. But if you had come to the place, if you had to come to the place of letting go of your only son, of releasing one of your children into the care of another man for the rest of his or her life, who would you entrust your child to? God entrusted his one and only son to the care of this man, Joseph, and this woman, Mary. It's an astounding thing that God did. Willingly releasing his son from the glory of his right hand and sending him into this cold, cruel world so that those who put their trust in him might be saved and spend eternity with God, with his son, with his spirit, and with his people in God's home, a heaven of incomparable beauty and splendor. Sometime around Christmas last year, I heard for the first time a song that the Statler brothers sang almost 50 years ago, 1975. 
Now, the Stadlers are not all that important, but listen to the words of this song. There are people who are whispering, and the rumors are running wild. There's a woman who's not married, and she's going to have a child. Her name is Mary. She's a virgin from down in Nazareth. Now, listen close. She's going to marry a man named Joseph, but the baby's father is the Holy Ghost. Then the chorus says, who do you think could believe such a thing? Could believe that this story is true? Who do you think could believe such a thing? Well, here's hoping to heaven you do. So the story of Christmas is so amazing as to be almost unbelievable to people around us. And part of our role as Christians is to make that story real in our lives so that they can see it by God's grace. And it's my prayer today that you do believe that story and you believe in the one who came to save his people from their sins. I pray that he's your savior. And if not, that you'll find him today. And because of that, Christmas this year for you will be the best Christmas possible. So Father, thank you for your son, Lord Jesus. Thank you that he came into this world as a little baby to save his people from their sins. And I thank you, Lord, for those here this morning who are his people already. And may they bless your name for all that you've done for them in Christ. And Father, if there's one or two here who are not your people, who have never taken the step of trusting the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life, I pray that today might be that day when they see him for who he is and put their trust in him forever. And Father, as we go from here in just a few moments, we entrust ourselves and and one another to your care. And we pray that the grace of our God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and his love might be with us both now and forever. Amen.